What was it about that meeting that led you to determine that you needed to start putting down a written record? A combination of things. I think the circumstances, the subject matter, and the person I was interacting with. Circumstances first, I was alone with the President of the United States, or the President-elect, soon to be President. The subject matter, I was talking about matters that touch on the FBI's core responsibility and that relate to the President, President-elect personally. And then the nature of the person. I was honestly concerned that he might lie about the nature of our meeting, and so I thought it really important to document. That combination of things I'd never experienced before, but it led me to believe I got to write it down, and I got to write it down in a very detailed way. I've seen the tweet about tapes. Lordy, I hope there are tapes. I was so stunned by the conversation that I just took it in. I took it as a direction. I mean, this is the President of the United States with me alone saying, I hope this. I took it as this is what he wants me to do. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about Donald Trump, the president who somehow wasn't on Twitter this afternoon. I'm Jamal Bowie, Slate's chief political correspondent and your host for today's show. Today was James Comey Day. On Wednesday, the Senate Intelligence Committee released the former FBI director's written testimony, where he described a series of conversations and confrontations with President Trump. Comey recounts a private meeting with Trump, a dinner, where the president asked Comey for his personal loyalty. He recounts a second meeting, alone in the Oval Office, where Trump urged Comey to end an investigation of former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. And in two separate conversations, both over the phone, Trump reportedly urged Comey to, quote, lift the cloud over his administration and, quote, get out that he isn't personally under investigation. On Thursday, Comey elaborated on all of this, taking questions from Republican and Democratic senators and giving a fuller picture of his interactions with the president. What we have, if you believe him, is a portrait of a president with little regard for the norms and standards that are supposed to govern presidential behavior. Put simply, presidents aren't supposed to pressure FBI directors. That's just not how it works. His actions demand oversight. But that oversight requires Republican cooperation. And so far, as we saw in the hearings, that's not forthcoming. Republican lawmakers were skeptical of the investigation that Trump and his associates and didn't hesitate to show it. Which leaves us, observers and the public at large, in an unusual space. Our president holds the rules of governance in contempt, and his party isn't all that interested in stopping him. Our guest today to talk about James Comey's testimony is Greg Sargent of the Washington Post, who writes the Plumline blog. Hey, Greg, how are you doing? Good. How are you, Janelle? Thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining us on Trumpcast. So I, you know, I assume that you watched the Comey testimony this morning. I, I think yeah, literally I every single soul in Washington D.C. did. What were your What are your initial thoughts? What's your initial takeaway? Um, we had the written testimony beforehand, so they could really just kind of jumped into the questioning. What did you think of the tenor of Democratic questioning here? Because it, it really seemed like different senators were aiming for different were aiming for different goals here? Well, you know, it's kind of funny. I actually thought the most important moments came at the hands of Republican senators, oddly enough. And one of them was intentional and the other wasn't. Um, James Rich uh, questioned him at one point about his interaction with uh, Trump over Flynn and accidentally elicited one of the most powerful moments in the whole hearing. Rich was trying to get him to say that, you know, 
okay, you say that um, that Trump asked you to let Flynn go or, or drop the Flynn probe, but did he command you to do it? Did he direct you to do it? And Comey would not bite on that and over and over said he didn't say those words. And then finally, Comey flat out said, I took it as a, quote, direction, close quote, which was a really important moment because what it showed is that Comey thought the president was ordering him to drop a probe into his former national security advisor. And then later, Rubio drew that out further. And I think Rubio did a good job on this and intentionally drew this out. He said, quote, you perceived it as an order, close quote. And Comey said, yes. And I thought that was very important because you couldn't quite tell from the written testimony what Comey had, what, how, how pressured Comey had felt. And, and I think this will be major grist for any effort to try and show obstruction of justice. Right. And throughout the hearing, Comey, I think, made very clear that he found both situations, both the private dinner and the private Oval Office meeting as being highly suspect and unusual, that this was not something that that the president's words, um, his hope that Comey would drop the Flynn, Flynn investigation, they gained some of their weight in part because of the circumstances in which they occurred, which was, you know, in the case of the Oval Office meeting, President Trump dismissing pretty much everyone else in the office with him other than Comey. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm just stunned at the talking points coming from Republicans on this. They're they're hanging all all this they're hanging all this weight on the idea that, that Trump said, I hope you'll drop this. As if that's supposed to mean anything, right? I mean, the president of the United States has the power to fire the FBI director. He had previously told him, I'm demanding your loyalty. And after that, he says, I hope you'll drop this. That's that's a directive. You know, you don't I mean, imagine, you know, I, I worked as a waiter for a while and, and the boss would frequently say things like, hey, do me a favor. Can you bust that table? He wasn't asking me to do it. He was telling me to do it. Right. And so I just, <laughs> if you had said, I, I don't I don't think I want to do you that favor, you would have gotten fired. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and he had explicitly said before, you have to be loyal to me. Uh, Trump had explicitly said you need to shed your institutional independence. So one thing I thought was interesting about all this, I'd be interested to hear your take, was the questioning of Senator Kamala Harris, who is a Democrat, for Comey. And her questions really dealt more with Jeff Sessions uh, and less with President Trump. And, and she seemed to, through her questions, which some of which, uh, several of which Comey uh, did not answer, uh, citing sort of that wouldn't be appropriate for an open hearing. But the tenor of her questions seemed to suggest that this Russia probe, insofar that it invo- involves multiple members of the administration and Trump's team, may involve Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, much more than people realize or much more than than at least we observers think. Yeah, I mean, I, I keep thinking back to the meeting that took place before the firing of Comey, right? Sessions was sitting in there with Rod Rosenstein, the deputy AG, and we still don't know what happened in that meeting. Trump basically, at this point, I guess Sessions had recused himself, right? But he was still in there. And Trump said that something transpired in that meeting where Rosenstein produced a memo after it, giving Trump a cover story for the firing of Comey. And, you know, at some point, I think a lot of attention is going to bear down on that meeting and what was said and, and what Sessions actually presided over there. Because recall that after, after the White House said, post this meeting and post the firing, that the firing was because of Rosenstein's recommendation meaning Sessions presided over that. 
it immediately leaked that Rosenstein said that he, he would quit unless this were straightened out. So these guys had to know, I think, that Trump had his own reason for firing Comey, i.e. the Russia probe, and asked for a cover story. I'll be very interested to see whether the investigators flesh out what happened there. And that directly implicates Sessions in the possible creation of a cover story for firing Comey. I want to kind of back away from the particulars of the uh, investigation or of the hearing and kind of talk about, I think, the one of the broader stories here, which is that, you know, with this testimony, both written and spoken, James Comey has essentially implicated the president of the United States in like an, in a, if not obstruction of justice, then an attempt to undermine the rule of law in, in some pretty kind of dramatic ways. The, the, the demand for loyalty for one, a demand for loyalty that in turn, like now as, as we, um, as president Trump has nominated new director for the FBI, like, forces questions about what that that nominee said to Trump to get that to get that position to get that nomination. So that's all to ask. Um, I feel like that is the crisis that the president is acting in ways that violate the norms of conduct for that office. And I, I wonder if you are see something similar or, or understand this in a similar way that setting aside all the the hype and everything and all the all the um the intrigue around Comey and and the Russia probe we have this kind of very fundamental political issue and and potentially crisis at hand yeah and i absolutely agree i mean there's all this talk about whether obstruction can be proven and and a lot of trump defenders want to keep this discussion very narrow you know there's the talking point that a president can't be on the hook for this because he's the president but it just you know, whether or not obstruction is proven, we know now that there was a major abuse of power. And it, it, it's extraordinarily serious, no matter what ends up getting proven later about the obstruction charge, or even if there is one. What, what, we're, what we have here is tr- it, it's confirmed, basically, that Trump tried to take one of the most powerful law enforcement uh, officials in the land who oversees vast investigative machinery. And, ter- and create what Comey called a patronage relationship. It's just that alone is just such an alarming glimpse into his sense of his own power and what the limits on it should be. That yes, it's a crisis. It, it is an actual crisis, and I think a key and one of the key things that makes this a crisis is the continued Republican denial and or, you know, refusal to acknowledge just how serious this has gotten. Say more about that, because that's that's something that I've also been sort of preoccupied with, the extent to which we have we have ev- all this evidence at hand. And we even have, you know, if we're judging by statements on part of Republicans during the campaign, we even have a good sense that, that many Republican lawmakers and officials recognize how much of a problem this is. But there's essentially a refusal to act. Yeah, I mean... It's today. I think Paul Ryan said something along the lines of, you know, Trump is quote just new to this. Like he just has to learn the protocol. This idea that that Trump just has to learn the ropes, that he has to learn the rules, seems so colossally dishonest and so completely out of sync with what we've been seeing since Trump took office that it's just almost incredible to witness it. Right? It just goes way beyond the Russia stuff. It's it's on every front. There's Trump's pure contempt for basic norms of transparency, the refusal to release the tax returns, 
the continued use of important diplomatic business to promote his resort, which drives up, you know, drives membership money right into his pocket. You know, the continued claims that the election, uh, that millions voted illegally in the election, which is a lie that undermines faith in our democracy. And they're now appointing a commission to give this claim validity. It's just endless. There's, you know, it's, it's an enormous erosion of of every kind of democratic norm you can think of. It's a total assault on our system in so many ways. And Republicans just continue to just build a protective wall around him. I, I don't know what where this is going to end up, frankly. You know, there's so much stuff there that I had actually forgotten about some of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so um, hard to keep track of it. Do you think there's anything that would move even a handful of Republicans uh, in the Senate or in the House to to really begin to to take this seriously, to treat it as a crisis? And I'll say, you know, as a sort of a parenthetical there, anything other than, you know, impending political loss, like anything independent of, you know, losing the House or losing the Senate? You know, I just don't know. I mean, I I I thought that maybe if there were some way Democrats could win the Montana special election and the Georgia one, that would suddenly get a lot of them to take this a lot more seriously. I, I mean, maybe it, it seems like if there's any sort of chance at, at, at any kind of serious movement, it's on the Russia front, right? I mean, you see guys like McCain and, and Lindsey Graham and, and Rubio to some degree in his questioning today. These guys seem to take the Russia thing very seriously. And they seem genuinely troubled by what Comey is saying, although I couldn't, I don't think anyone could figure out what McCain was saying today. So if there's any prayer at, at some sort of serious movement, I would assume it's on the Russia stuff, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not counting on, were you? No, I'm not, I'm not either. I'm sort of at a, a bit at a loss here um, because I just don't, I don't see really anyone within the Republican party or at least any Republican lawmakers willing to sacrifice their immediate political interests to to deal with this. I think that there I can't decide if it's sort of a view that this is merely partisan pike and part of Democrats, whether it's just kind of indifference, whether it is uh which in the, I think this is the case in Paul for Paul Ryan, a strategic and calculated move to uh, advance one's agenda and kind of tolerate this stuff. But it, it seems to me to be really playing with fire here and, and setting up, setting up a situation where the White House is met with a genuine sort of external exogenous crisis. And precisely because the administration is so compromised in so many different ways, it's just unable to handle it. Um, it really feels like Republicans are walking a thin line here. Um, as far as the interests of the country go, and that 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 that's aside from their own sort of longer term political interests, because it it seems to me that no one really knows exactly what they might be trying to what they're running interference for here, and it might all blow up in their faces uh, at some point, maybe sooner, maybe later, maybe maybe never. But of all the figures in American politics to put your career on the line for, I'm not sure. Even if I belong to the same party, I'm not sure I would do it for Donald Trump. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess to me, the question you're basically raising is, you know, 
what is actually going on with the Republican Party today? And I think that's a really good question. And it would be really great if some of these more Republican-connected reporters could dig a little on that. I think that would really be a service to all of us. I mean, I'd love to know what these guys are really thinking, whether they think there's some limit that could be, you know, some line somewhere that could be crossed where they would have to start taking this more seriously, whether they see any of this as a serious threat to our democracy and institutions or not. And, you know, I guess whether they would be prepared to start doing something a little bit differently at some point, maybe they say to themselves, and this is something a reporter who's connected with these people could really establish. Maybe they say to themselves, well, you know, he, he really is taking us pretty close to the limit, but if we cross this line, if he crosses this line, we can always do X, Y, and Z. So ultimately, we don't really think that the that the country's uh, the integrity of our democracy is under any kind of serious threat. Or, or, and I'd love to know it if they're thinking that, and and know more about how how they've reached, you know, what their thoughts are on it. Or maybe they just don't think about it at all. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, wouldn't it be great to have? some really serious and in-depth reporting on that? No, I agree, because I, I do think it's sort of the critical question of American politics right now. If 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 sort of we all acknowledge that something very strange is happening, whether or not you think it's criminal or unethical or, or illegal, but something very strange is happening right now with the President of the United States uh, and his associates vis-a-vis the Russian government, and no one really knows what it is. I, yeah, I would like to know what, what do Republicans think about that, and, and what what in this situation would move them to say, for example, okay, we need we need to really devote serious investigative uh, resources to this? What what I worry is that that's never going to happen, precisely because so many Republicans have tied their fortunes to Trump. They've defended him, they've praised him, they've pushed back against things that were. That were obviously absurd, um, and so they're kind of in the position, right, of someone who I don't know joins a gang and this meant to like then is asked to beat up someone afterwards, <laughs> right? They're 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 implicated, and and once you're implicated, it becomes very difficult to take yourself out of it because doing so you risk dragging yourself down too. And it's also, oh, I guess, it's also sort of a retro retroactive concession of. Of enormous wrongdoing, right? Like you'd, you'd have to, you'd have to be implicitly conceding that you enabled this guy to get to this point, right? And I just don't. And this is, I mean, this is beyond. The, this is aside from the fact that you know you have, you may have constituents who are very enthusiastic about Donald Trump. And so, setting the politics aside, just looking at the psychology of it all, it, it seems that that by itself is a huge barrier. And then when you add the politics in, it becomes it, it's hard to make the case that. Um, there's very much that would push Republicans or some minority of Republicans in a different direction. But I, I do think there's still value in recognizing that if there is a political crisis here, it's as, as, it's as much a crisis of the Republican Party as it is of Donald Trump himself. Um, yeah, not just yeah. because Trump is a Republican president, but because the Republican Congress is in a real way enabling a lot of uh, unsavory stuff. Or at least uh, enabling what is basically a cover-up for whatever goal. It's such a strange moment, right? I mean, I guess really the the core question becomes whether something really 
profoundly different is happening with the Republican Party now in some way that we don't quite understand yet. I'm not sure what that would be. I mean, you know, I think Chate, some others have talked about a, a genuine drift towards authoritarianism or whatever. You did a piece like that, didn't you, if I remember? I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys have done, you know, good stuff laying that out. I just, I wonder, I wonder if anyone could figure out how they see it, <laughs> you know? We're just you and I are yeah, just, that you is... and I are just like marveling you know we're just marveling from 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 outside at, at this kind of unbelievable spectacle. I have been talking to Greg Sargent of The Washington Post. Thank you, Greg, for joining me on today's Trumpcast. Thanks very much. It was really fun. And that's our show for today. But before we go, are you following us on Twitter? To keep up with the latest from us, be sure to follow our handle at RealTrumpCast. That's at RealTrumpCast. And are you looking to check out a new show? Go listen to one of our newer Slate shows, I Have to Ask. It's hosted by Isaac Chotner, who's known for his direct questions and strong follow-ups. Past guests include Senator Chuck Schumer, White House reporter Ashley Parker, and his most recent show is with the novelist George Saunders. You can find all the episodes of I Have to Ask at Slate.com ask. That's slate.com slash ask. Today's show is produced by Jason DeLeon. And I'm Jamel Bowie. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Trumpcast.